How many of you remember this place? Anybody recognize that? It's kind of small to see on the screen. That is the Crystal Cathedral. Does anybody remember the Crystal Cathedral? Uh, It was this massive glass church built in California. Uh, There are 10,000 panes of glass in that building. Uh, It was the church that that was housed there was pastored by Robert Schuller and from the Crystal Cathedral every week was beamed the program called The Hour of Power. It was the most widely watched Christian program in America. It was beamed to another 155 countries. Um, construction on that building started clear back in 1977. It took three years to build and it cost in late 70s uh, money, it cost a whopping $18 million to build, which would be closer to $100 million in today's money. It's, uh, that, by the way, did not include that price. It does not include one of the world's largest pipe organs that went into the place that cost back then an additional $2 million. Uh, It's a beautifully impressive structure, but that beauty came with a price. The congregation it housed was never out of debt. In fact, 30 years after it was built, the congregation, the debts of the congregation were upwards of $55 million. So Pastor Schuler retired and the congregation declared bankruptcy. That was in 2010. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange County bought the Crystal Cathedral for about $58 million, but they immediately started renovations, which totaled another $77 million. They later uh, renovated the pipe organ to the tune of another $3 million. But hey, It's a small price to pay when you're building a house for God, right? Well, listen, as we're going to see today, I don't think that kind of thing is ever what God had in mind when God had a desire to build a house for his name. We're going to read a very important chapter or portion of scripture today. You find 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read what's commonly called the Davidic Covenant this morning and see what the Lord uh, has to teach us this morning about his desire to build a house. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read the first 17 verses. Now it came about when the king, that's David, lived in his house And the Lord had given him rest on every side from all of his enemies. That King David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? 
For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Did I ever ask that? Verse 8. Now, therefore, God says to Nathan the prophet, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. There's our passage for this morning. And it begins uh, with David having his heart set on doing something that I think anyone would think is a, is a noble idea or a noble cause. David wants to, he says, he wants to, he wants to build a house for God. In true Hebrew narrative fashion, we don't get a lot of the details of this conversation. But David's motives, his heart is in the right place. David is, is visiting with a friend of his that we meet for the first time in this book, but it won't be the last time, a guy named Nathan the prophet. And we can, we can see enough detail that David has looked around at his situation and he goes, man, I look at this mansion, this palace that I live in, and I compare that to the tent where the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence with the people of Israel, I compare my house to the place where the Ark is, and I got a way better house. That doesn't seem right. And the unspoken part is David, obviously, he wants to build a house for God. And, and Nathan the prophet thinks that makes perfect sense. He's 100% on board. Now, Nathan doesn't, he hasn't talked to God about this. He doesn't know God's specific will about this. He just hears David's heart. It's like, man, I think God would definitely be on board with that plan, Dave. And he's like, well, thanks, Nate. 
And so they, they go to bed that they leave and they basically go to bed that night thinking that's what's going to happen. David's going to get started building what we would call a temple, a house for God. But God wastes no time in verse 4. That same night, God shows up to Nathan the prophet and speaks to him to correct the thinking of these two friends. And so everything else we're going to read is really a message that God gave to Nathan the prophet, but Nathan's job is then to go tell it to David. So I'm going to talk about this like it's God talking directly to David, and he does that through, through Nathan the prophet. But everything else we read is the message God has for David um, that corrects David's thinking about building a house for God. The first thing God wants to accomplish in that message to David is he wants David to consider a couple of questions. The first question is overt. He just asks it. In verse 5, God says to David, are you really going to build me a house to dwell in? Would you build a house for me? That's really all, all this says. And I want, you to, I want you to know the sense in, in which God is saying this. It's not just that God is saying, I really want a house. I just want someone more qualified than you to build it. That's, that's not what he's asking. I think what God is asking David is something more like this. Think about this, David. Do you really think you can build a house for me? I'm the one that, that built the entire universe by talking. And you are one tiny little living speck on one little hill, on one little blue speck of space dust in that universe. Do you really think you can build a house that would hold me, that would house me? I think that's his first question. But there's another, there's another question that's understood in these verses that I think God wants David to consider. And that question is this, what makes you think I want a house at all? Starting in verse 6, God says, have I ever complained about the tent that I live in? So at one point, at least one point in Israel's history at this point, God did ask Israel to build his house. We call it the tabernacle, which is just a fancy word for tent. When Moses, uh, when God had Moses lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Israel was a traveling, wandering people. And God wanted to demonstrate this truth. I want to be with my people. So to demonstrate that truth, he asked Israel to build him a tent. It was a fancy tent, but it was a tent, a two-room tent. And Israel was supposed to camp all around God's tent because God wants them to know, I want to be with people. Now, people can't just barge in and be with God because we're sinful people. So God created this religious system that was teaching the whole time the only way you can be with the God who wants to be with you is if you approach that God the way he allows himself to be approached. That's the lesson. 
So David says, I got a better house than God. I want to build God a better house than me. And God says, David, what makes you think I want a nicer house? Have I ever complained that, well, those people over there, they built their God a way nicer house than I've got. You ever heard me say that, David? No. And besides, I think God would say, whatever human beings could possibly build for me, whether it is a crystal cathedral, whether it is Solomon's temple, no matter what it might be, St. Peter's Basilica, I promise you it looks like a van down by the river to whatever God has built for himself where he actually lives. Now, I'm trying real hard not to give away the ending here, but I do want you to know the, the point of this passage is not God just doesn't want David to build his house. He wants someone else to build his house. That's not the point. What God wants to see built isn't a building at all. Now God will allow David's son Solomon to build the first temple. And it's impressive, but even that is only one piece one part of God building what he actually wants to build. It was never a building, and it's still not. And make no mistake, God, God is still just as easily glorified, and some might argue more so, God is just as easily glorified in a group of people that he considers to be his people working to glorify him and maybe they don't have a building to meet in at all. Maybe they meet in a cellar in North Korea with the lights out. Maybe they, they meet in a secret house church network in Iran or in China. God is just as easily glorified there than people who get together and, and meet in a, in a church that's got four gyms and two coffee shops and, and whatever else. Because it is never about the building. It's been a while since I said this, but like this chief metal building that we meet in here, it's not God's house. Before you leave here this morning, I hope you know what is. So, David wants to build God a house. First, God says, you really think you can build me a house? And by the way, what makes you think a house is what I want? Anyway, next, beginning in verse 8, God launches into something of a history lesson for David about his goodness, his grace toward David and toward Israel. It seems like God has changed the subject, but he hasn't. God says to David, hey, David, you know how I plucked you out of the pasture and decided that you were going to be the king of Israel? that ever strike you as odd? David has to be like, yeah, yeah. It's pretty, pretty strange. And then he says, you notice I've, I've been with you through everything and brought you to where you're at. Yeah, yeah God, I, I, I say that all the time. This is all because of you and it's all about you. And David does say that. 
David says, or God says to David, I'm going to make your name so great, you are going to be mentioned in the same sentence as all of the great men on earth. And then he says, I'm going to keep being good to Israel. I'm going to make everything go awesome uh, for Israel. And Israel is going to be safe and secure while you are our king. And then, da- then God's going to drop an absolute bomb on David. Okay, hang on to, in your brain, just hang on to this history lesson of everything God has done for David and Israel and what he plans to do in the future. And do you remember where we started this morning? You remember what David's desire was in his heart? What did David want to do? He said he, he wanted to build a house for God. Look what God tells David in the second part, part of verse 11. It reads this way, The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Here's what David is supposed to understand God saying through Nathan the prophet. God, I want to build a house for you. God shows up and says, David, not only are you not going to build a house for me, what? I'm going to build a house for you. Man, do I wish we had video footage of David's face when God said that. He had to about pass out. This is the main idea of this entire passage. In fact, that history lesson that God just gave to David, it really is just a summary of of this statement right here. We have to understand what God is saying right here, or we won't understand what he said before or what he said after. This is a summary statement of that history lesson. You, David, do you know why I've been so good to you? Made you king? Make every, I'm making everything go so awesome for you? Making you so famous? Because I plan to build a house. And what I'm doing with you is about that house. And everything he's going to say after this is how he intends to build a house. But we have to understand God is using this English word house differently then David is using the word house. David wants to build a structure to put the ark in. God doesn't want to build a building. God wants to build a household, a royal line, a dynasty. And we still use the word house that way too. If we're talking about a royal family, like the royal family of Saudi Arabia is known as the house of Saud. S-A-U-D, by the way, not S-O-D. That's something different. The, uh, the British royal family is the house of Windsor. David says, I want to build you a building. God says, I'm going to build you a house. Not that kind of house. I'm going to make the house of David a royal family. Everything I've done with you before is because I'm already, I already have this thing under construction, David. And the promises God's about to make is how he plans to build the house of David for David, from David, through David. What we're about to study through, as I mentioned, is called the Davidic Covenant. It is one of the most important parts of the entire Bible. A scholar named Walter Brueggemann, 
He calls what we're about to read the most crucial, theological, easy for me to say. Let me try that one again. The most crucial theological statement in the Old Testament. That's up for debate, but the point remains, what we're about to read is really, really important. What we're about to read about this household that God wants to build for David, from David, through David, is the reason why Jews, Israel, hundreds of years later, a thousand years later, some still today, are expecting a king called the the Messiah or the Christ. Today's passage is the reason why they expected that. Today's passage shapes our understanding of who Jesus is and still what we expect and depend on Jesus to one day do. It's really important. And it all comes from this God telling David, you're not going to make a house for me, David. I'm going to make a house for you, through you, from you. And after he gives, this is the promise. After he gives this promise, he wants David to know some things, three things about this promise, this household he's going to build from David, for David, through David. Um, and, and I'm using a guy named Dale Davis's outline for this, Dr. Dale Davis, because it's, it's perfect. I didn't feel like I could improve upon it, so I stole it. That's what we do as preachers. The, uh, not really. Okay. I'm going to build a house for you, God says, and I want you to know this, David, first. Death will not stop me from building this house I've promised to build. Okay, God just promised David, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And then God says, but David, you're going to die before I build the house. I promise I'm going to build a house for you, but when the time comes, uh, you're going to die. But don't worry. Death is not going to keep me from keeping this promise to build this house for you. He says, after, after you die, I'm going to raise up a descendant after you. I got to call time out real fast. Let me get a 20 for those of you who know basketball. Um, there's some stuff in the rest of what we read that gets confusing because we don't know who God's talking about. It can seem like God's talking about David's son, a guy named Solomon. He's David's son who became king after David. Some of this stuff sounds like it's about Solomon. I will tell you, I am convinced this ain't about Solomon. It's about Jesus. Okay? Here's why. It sounds like this is about Solomon. Hey, David, I'm going to build a house for you. You're not going to see it. You're going to die. But I'm going to raise up a descendant after you who will come forth from you. He uses the, 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 the word seed here, which is important in, in a previous covenant, but I won't get into that this morning. And I'm going to establish his kingdom. Now that sounds like Solomon, but he shall build a house for my name. That sounds like Solomon because Solomon will build the first temple. But then we fall off the rails trying to make this about Solomon because it says, God says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's the next word? Forever. And I got bad news for Solomon. His kingdom wasn't 
permanent. In fact, after Solomon died, his throne, his kingdom, the, full, the fullness of it lasted about 15 minutes because the kingdom divided and split almost immediately after Solomon died. So I think we're looking for a different descendant of David whose throne and kingdom will last forever. His name is Jesus. Okay, so first thing, God says, David, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And the first thing I want you to know is death won't stop me from building this house I plan to build. Second thing God wants David to know is that sin won't stop me from building this house I promise to build. Verses 14 and 15, they read this way. About this special descendant God just promised, God says to David, I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men, with the strokes or the beatings of other humans, of of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him in the way I took my loving kindness away from Saul, whom I removed as king before you. Now, now we come to a part that can seem like it's difficult to make this be about Jesus. First part sounds like Jesus. I'll be a father to him, and he'll be a son to me. That's Jesus. But next God says that this special descendant of David This is when he commits iniquity, we would call that sin, when he does bad stuff. I'll correct him. Jesus never sinned any sins, right? So this, it's easy to say this can't be about Jesus, but listen, it can't be about Solomon either. Because Solomon did sin, but in response to Solomon's sins, did God ever correct Solomon? Did God ever let Solomon get beaten up because of his sin? No. Well, maybe it's about later descendants of David who did get beaten up by the Babylonians. Well, yeah, but God says, my loving kindness won't be taken away from this special descendant. I won't remove him from being king the way I removed Saul from being king. So what gives? Here's what gives. This is still about Jesus. And here's why. Jesus did not sin any of his own sins. But Jesus was made as if he had. Jesus became, we are told, our sin. Peter says Jesus, our sin, went into his body on the tree. And when, and I don't believe it just happened when he was literally on the cross. I believe it happened during all of what we call Good Friday. Jesus became our sin. He, he, he was, it was just like legally before the Father. He had sinned every sin we had sinned. And you know what happened immediately after that? God treated Jesus accordingly. He corrected Jesus with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men. What was happening at the cross is Jesus was being punished as if he had sinned every sin. 
that was promised a thousand years before Jesus was born right here to David. But God said to David, don't worry. That sin is not going to keep me from building the house I want to build through your special descendant. Because God's rejection of Jesus because of all the sin he became was very temporary. It was very temporary. And God says, I will never take my loyal love away from him like I took it away from Saul. So David says, God, I want to build a house for you. God says, "Mm, no. Not only are you not going to build a building for me, I'm going to build a house for you and through you. And I want you to know, David, first, death won't stop me from building this house. Second, sin won't stop me from building this house. And then finally, time won't stop me from building this house either. God says to David, the end of this conversation, he says, this house of yours, your house and your kingdom, that and right there should be an equal sign, the way we understand it. Your house equals your kingdom. Remember, the house God wants to build isn't a building. It's a what? It's a kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Here God's telling David that this kingdom, this house, same thing that he wants to build, will last forever and ever and ever. Time will not matter at all. It won't dampen it a bit. And that's the Davidic covenant. It's God promising David, David, I'm going to build a household, a royal lineage for you, from you, through you. Death won't stop me from building it. Sin won't stop me from building it. Time won't stop me from building it. I'm going to build it. God has always had plans to build this big house, this household. David was central to this plan because from David's line, God promised to bring this special descendant, this this good king, the Christ in Greek, the Messiah in Hebrew. Why did pick David? Or why did God pick David? You want to know why? I'll let you in on the secret. God picked David because he had to pick somebody. If he didn't pick David and he picked someone else, we'd be talking about that guy in the same way. That's why God said in the history lesson, David, you know all that good stuff I've been doing to you? It ain't about you. It's because I'm already building the house I want to build. And I promised your great, 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 great granddaddy Abraham I was going to bless the whole earth through his descendants. That's, that was all about building this house, this household. And so God says, David, I made you the good king to prefigure this, but, but the special descendant is going to be king forever and ever and ever and ever. And a thousand years after this text, an angel showed up to uh, this little Jewish girl named Mary. And we'll read part of the Christmas story here before we quit. Luke 1.30. See if this sounds like today's passage. The angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb a child not born of a, of a human man, but of God, and you shall name him, uh, bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great, he will be called, called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, or Israel, forever and his kingdom will have no end. Does that sound like today's passage? I hope it does. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant that we just read. But God wasn't done house building when Jesus came to earth. God wanted, God promised to build not to create not just a king, but a household. And the house God promised to build is still being built. The author of Hebrews wrote this. This is in the New Testament. After Jesus died, buried, rose again. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And read that with me. We are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Okay, David looks at his house. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. My house is nicer than God's house. Hey God, I'm going to build you a house. God says, no, you're not. I'm building me a house. And I'm actually going to do it for you and through you. But the house I plan to build isn't brick and mortar, right? And it's not a dark brown chief metal building either. It's people. Because even when God built, allows Solomon to build a temple, that is to teach this, God wants to be with people. God wants to be with you. He's still building this house, but we couldn't be with a holy and righteous and perfect God unless someone else took the punishment our sins deserve. And the king of kings did that for you. All of that is how God decided to build his house because he doesn't want buildings. He wants you. And he wants your friends and your family. But the only way we have access to him is through that special descendant, that baby that was born to the virgin who was crucified under Pontius Pilate for the punishment we deserve for our sins. God's, God's the master builder. He's still building a house. Are you a part of his household through faith in Jesus Christ? And if not, you can do that today. You can just believe that what he did at the cross, he did for you. If you are, the building project is not done. He still is building this house so that we can be a part of his kingdom when he returns to reign on his father David's throne, which you will. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we are so grateful that as the master builder, you have decided to build a house for your name. And in some ways, at least, it's us. Thank you for the wisdom of your plan through the ages. Thank you more than anything for Jesus Christ. 
God, uh, there are those here who have not believed that Jesus suffered and died the death they deserve for their sins before you. I pray you would encourage them just in the quietness of their hearts to, to tell you I understand that what Jesus did, he did for me. And you'll add sort of one more hypothetical, one more metaphorical brick in this building you've long been building. And Father, we, we don't just get to be lifeless bricks, but fellow uh, uh, builders, subcontractors, as you build this house that the gates of hell cannot overcome. God, build it through us that your glory may, may reside here in this, your house, not the building, but the people who come here. We love you, Lord. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we will finish our time this morning.